Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Mass Debaters Presents Flaunt Your Stuff. My name is DeAndre Robinson, and this is my friend. Say hello, friend. Hey, DeAndre. <laughs> uh, my name is Angela Kiata Banks, and um, as of today, uh, because I believe in seasonal purposes, so I may be doing something completely different in the next six months or a year. But as of today, I am a purpose coach. Um, I am the founder of Soulful Liberation, which is a podcast as well as a book publishing company. And um, I'm an author. I'm an author of the Black Foss Youth Handbook. And my overall mission is to, <laughs> my overall mission is to, you know, uplift the voices of those unheard or um, overly marginalized and uh, support the communities of low wealth and communities of color. So that's in economics, that's in fin uh, finances, that's in politics, that's in overall well-being and health, and really bringing us back to our roots and where we came from before colonization and uh, you know, moving forward. What is the legacy that we wanna build? What is, what is our purpose? And really making an impact in the community. Okay, well, first and first, uh, I've known you with, well, like said, is that three years now? Uh, we yeah. used to work. <laughs> We used to work together in a nonprofit in Seaside, Oregon. Um, yes. And you were always like this. You were always um, looking out for the little man, looking out for people of color. Um, and so, first things first, I want to say thank you for everything you, you that you're doing. Uh, you're doing thank a, a you. fantastic job. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, but we're here to uh, promote your book. Uh, hey. so, yes. <laughs> so, so talk about your, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so tell me about your book. Come on. First and first, tell me why, why, why write the book in the first place? Yeah. So um, it's the Black Foster Youth Handbook, 50 plus lessons I learned to successfully age out of foster care and holistically heal. And Whew, there's so many reasons why this book <laughs> was created. Um, but one of the main reasons is, like I said, it's 50 plus lessons I learned. And these are things that I wish I would have known um, when I was aging out. And in fact, I didn't age out. Um, I was in a, I didn't age out successfully. I was actually kicked out and given a seven day notice. And um, really on the premise of, I wasn't feeling safe in my foster home at the time. <clears throat> my foster parent had a lot of, um, she was single. She was in her late forties and um, arguably possibly going through a midlife crisis, not quite sure, but she had several men coming in and out of her home and um, I didn't feel safe. And there were a lot of other things that she would do that um, I just didn't agree with which included trying to coerce me to drink alcohol or go to parties. And like at the time, I wasn't interested in doing any of that. And also I was 19. Mm. So <laughs> I don't know why that was like a thing. Um, and so there was a lot of things that bothered me about it. And I didn't know who to turn to because my social worker had actually a couple weeks prior, she retired. And my guardian litem was actually uh, removed from the case because um, a year prior because I was in between placements and my social worker thought it was okay for me to spend a couple nights at the airport. And um, my, my garnet litem was like, um, absolutely not. You're, mm -hmm. gonna, you're, that's not going to be the case. You're going to come and stay with me. 
and my social worker made sure that she was removed from the case. And so, so, um, during that time, I didn't really have anybody to turn to. So I tried to go and talk to the case manager, um, of the case. And unfortunately I didn't know her relationship with my foster parent was very connected. And so I ended up wording the story as if it was like a third party thing. And I was like, what if, right? A what if scenario? What if this happens? What would be the protocol? And um, I guess she kind of read between the lines and she went back and told my foster parent, which resulted in my foster parent being very angry. She felt like I shouldn't, I shouldn't be telling, you know, her business or what's going on in her house. And um, yeah, it just became a very unfortunate situation where she was trying to uh, physically harm me. And by the end of that night, she told me that she was going to make sure that she that I would pay because I opened my mouth and told her business pretty much. Um, and so that next day, <laughs> I actually got an email from uh, the supervising social worker of that division, which, by the way, I had been trying to contact her multiple times because I didn't feel safe and other things in that house, but I didn't get any responses. But I did get a response. I did get an email um, that next day with a seven day notice stating that, you know, I was going to have to find somewhere else to stay. And, you know, because X, Y, Z things that were untrue. So I, after I got that email, I was like very upset and I tried to contact that particular supervising social worker. And I tried to contact other social workers in the area. I tried to contact um, several people, but I ended up getting one social worker that responded. And I remember it was like on Facebook. And so it was like Facebook video chat and he called me and I was like crying, bawling my eyes out. Like my face was red. I was just like, oh my gosh, like I just need for people to hear my side. I don't really care about all this other type of stuff, but like, can I get a chance to talk about like my side of the story? Because I feel like it's just one side of the story and people made an executive decision. And now in seven days, I have to figure out a place with which at that point in time, I was gonna start back school. I was gonna start back college in five days. So I really had three days. So that way I'd be able to get settled for classes, right? So. Mm-hmm. It was really frustrating. And um, so I'm like, I'm like crying and I'm like trying to FaceTime or Facebook video chat this social worker. And I'm like, you know, this is what happened. They just sent me an email and like, how can I get some kind of meeting? So that way we can have a conversation and I can really say, you know, my side what happened. And then, you know, I don't necessarily want to stay here, but (laughs) we can find some other ways. You know, I don't think that it's okay that like I only have seven days. And so the social worker ends up just telling me like, basically um, they already, cause I was under the CARS agreement, which is 18 to 21 extension. Mm -hmm. And um, apparently under one of those clauses is that um, basically by any means necessary, if anything happens, even if it's on their fault, Mm -hmm. the uh, foster parents fault or your caregiver's fault, then yeah, you get kicked out. It doesn't matter. So that's pretty much what he, explained to me and told me that um it just that's just what it was and that I was just gonna have to deal with it I was gonna have to figure it out and um basically he hung up and so after that I was just like wow like you know all these other different questions of like why doesn't anyone care why doesn't anyone like why do people think that this is okay 
And so um, my dad was actually the person, my um, dad was a person that actually came and helped me and helped me move. And I found a place on Craigslist Mm -hmm. (laughs) and moved there. And um, it was very rocky even then. So for me, it's like, if I could go back in time and the lessons that I've learned throughout my life from that moment, right? And even before then and now, what are some of the pivotal ways that I can um, put that into a book and really help a young person and also a supportive adult on the other end, supportive adults, CASAs, social workers, foster parents, be able to really see how they can support young people, even if it's not them having some plans in place in order to um, kind of alleviate a lot of the issues that people in um, with experience of foster care have to go through. And then you're not only just healing as a young person, you're not only just healing from your trauma before foster care, you're also healing from the trauma of foster care. So um, I break it up into four phases. So it's um, called the real success model. And I don't know how far, how far along you've been able to read. <laughs> I am on page 265. Oh, wow. You are, you are deep in there. So, 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 so here's the thing. So, I mean, obviously, you know, but I mean, um, I was a foster care too. I mean, yeah. I am much older than you are, but I was in foster care as well. So yeah. um, I would like to know things that I could have done or couldn't have, couldn't have done uh, to help my situation as well. Um, I, I got extended to 21 as well. Um, and I wanted to know what, what, what I could do. So th- this was actually very, very inform- informative. Um, how long did it take you to write this book? It took me um, since February from February to July, Mm -hmm. and then it was all editing. Mm -hmm. And I would say when I got to July, so that was March, April, May, June, July, about five months. Mm -hmm. Um, When I got to July, I wanted to just like stop before I got into the editing, because you know, editing is the most like extensive process about publishing a book. Mm -hmm. And Mm I just wanted to stop and like wait a few months pretty much because I was so like I channeled so much energy and I went through so much like going back and like thinking about my trauma and like a lot of stuff and I was so tired but I realized that especially when the pandemic came up because the pandemic came around March April And I was like, oh, snap, like on top of foster care, now young people that are currently experiencing foster care have to deal with COVID. Like, like, oh my gosh. So I was like, I need to get this book out by any means necessary. This just needs to happen. Like I need to really just take a few days. So I took like two days and then I found an editor and I just went hard. I got the first edits and then I took it back and I completely rearranged the entire book. Mm-hmm. And then it went through another editing process. And um, then I launched in September. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I haven't uh, had a book, a book published, but I have some articles published and even with the articles the editing processes, is amazing. Oh, gosh. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so I understand what you, what you, what you, what you're going through. Um, being, yes. being, being a, a black uh, foster kid, um, can you can you describe what it what it what it what it's like being a black foster being someone of color in the foster care system? 
in your eyes, in your eyes. I know. I mean, I know. I know it's a hair. Yeah. I, 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 I want to talk to you about it. Yeah, and um, I think it's just it's so many different layers to it, you know, because when I talk to people that are of African or indigenous descent or, you know, some people, they they think that they're Hispanic and they don't know their true identity because of colonization and different whitewashed history, um, we end up really forgetting like where we come from and our roots and um, the, we kind of feel shameful about our history, right? Because it's just the slave times, but we don't dive deeper into it because that shame doesn't let us like go deeper into who we really are, where we really came from, all these other different aspects and really claiming it as our own again. And I think when you're a young person in foster care, you have another layer of that because it's one thing when you know, you're already of African or indigenous descent and you're here in America without those connections and those roots. Um, and you're having to navigate again what that really means for you. And then two, you have the other layer of, well, foster care, which is also a system of separation of families a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And so it just further separates you from yourself. Um, and you have to like relearn how to bond to yourself, one. And then two, and your culture and your identity and like who you really are, like who am I aside from the trauma? Like the trauma is, I think the trauma creates another identity of who you needed to be to endure and survive the trauma and those traumatic states. And then some people never get out of that. So it's like survival mode. Mm. Um, so one, reclaiming who you are, your culture identity, and then two, is this constant like weird um i don't know i call it like a bipolar mentality where it's like i can do anything in the world and like I, all these other different things and like um i'm more than just my flesh and i'm a soul and all these other different things but then on the other end like really recognizing the colorism and institutional racism and the modern day lynchings and the heaviness of what that really means if you do decide to claim, you know, this history of what's happened to our people. And I think that can be very heavy at times, especially if you're not like, if you don't have community that one validate experience, because there's a lot of people that say that racism doesn't exist in America, which just, <laughs> first of all, that's a loaded statement. <laughs> that's a false statement. I said, I hate that. Oh, God damn it. That's a fucking false statement. I say that, and then I don't see color and all that kind of because yes. I, I hate those statements. Because the, that's just saying that you don't, you, you choose not to see what's going on with, 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 with the people that's different color than that you are. And I hate that statement with a passion. I hate to say that, I hate that I, there's no racism. I hate the, the statement where they say, I don't see color um, um, or I'm like you. <laughs> Those those kind of statements that bothers me badly, and I know it bothers other people as well. And I felt that uh, I felt that deep breath to kind of like center yourself again. So I mm -hmm. felt that. Yeah, yeah I felt that on a spiritual level. Mm -hmm. But I do that. I do that a lot, especially like you know when you are in spaces where you know like people are gonna just invalidate your experience. You just 
it's those breaths that really take you back to like, okay, like I mm. I just gonna, but yeah. So I would say that's like one of the biggest difficulties and recognizing that like our, you know, our people, they really need a lot of healing ourselves included. Like there's, there's so many different levels to it and to decolonize yourself, which is something I also talk about in the book, not too much in depth, but I just touch on it. Mm-hmm. Um, to decolonize yourself means to rethink even your viewpoint on how you see every single thing, um, because we're taught to see it through a specific lens, a specific viewpoint, and you know it's called his story for one for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to really dig deep and ask ourselves if. First of all, if that's even important to us, um, what is the other side? What are the other sides of those stories? What are the other sides of the stories other than the one that has been shoved in our face? Mm-hmm. Um, to say that, you know, people of African descent are primitive, and it was <laughs> it was something that was needed to be uh, done. Slavery was something that was needed to be done, or that it was even it was even justified in any way um that is one particular lens or that people of uh, indigenous descent um weren't really anything without europeans coming in and completely disrupting that system and you know creating the system that we know today so mm-hmm. um for me i'm always challenging asking those questions to myself like and other people you know what if that's not true? You know, what, what if that's a different, what if that's one side of the story? Where, where's the other side of the story? Where is the story of the ones oppressed? So yeah, that's what I'll say to that question. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's go back to the book. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, cause, cause we can talk about this a lot, man. I, I, I don't mind talking about this. We can talk about this forever. Uh, I, I get man, men, so many groups and so many nonprofits that I, I work with uh, helping out people of color um, everywhere. Um, yeah. I mean, so well, I could talk about this for days, uh, but, but back to the book. Uh, I, I do have a question, uh, a fan question actually, quote unquote. Uh, what would you uh, how I could put this what would you say to a foster foster kid of color that been bounced around a lot and he doesn't he or she doesn't feel like they belong anywhere um what I would say is that home is state of mind home is something that you can cultivate Mm -hmm. um, at any point in time with yourself or with others and secondly you were never meant to do anything in life alone you're never meant to be alone and figure it out by yourself and unfortunately a lot of times that is the case you know we have this narrative and I, i would also say a culture sometimes that is really dependent on being independent Mm -hmm. and that's that's a false narrative because it when you read and you study about um you study very wealthy and successful people they always have a group of people that's behind them and people that uh love them adore them open doors for them and so you have to begin to ask yourself you know is 
staying in your own lane as far as being by yourself, is that really being, is that success to you? Is that what home feels like to you? I mean, truly? And that, I mean, these are very honest conversations you have to have with yourself because I mean, no one can answer these questions for you. Um, how do you define love? How do you define home? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on that part of the book. Like, like, like yeah. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and that's a great listen. Also, all serious I'm I just turned 32 this year, and uh, yeah, I know I'm old. I got the, the salt and the pepper and the, and the beard. Uh, but as a 32 year old man, I still have a, a hard time defining what love is. I, I know that I can feel love. I know that I love most of my family and friends. It's just that 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 love like that like sometimes it's just hard to see like even as a, as a 32 year old man um degrees and and everything yeah it rewarded it's still hard to find out what what love is so when, when i got to that part of the book i'm like damn like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like all right so so that's a good part of the book um but yeah i'm sorry go ahead no no i love it i love it um yeah, and I just think, you know, when you're really diving into those conversations um, with yourself, those, those are things that come up, right? It's like, it, it hits like, oh, mm -hmm. shit, I never, I don't think I really even asked myself that question. Like, mm -hmm. and those are the questions that I would, you know, aid any young person to really start digging into and start finding the answers for yourself. Well, you know, you got a head start with the Black Foss Youth Handbook, but um, mm -hmm. you, you got to define it for yourself and really start actively um, cultivating that around you and having that be your new normal and your new um, mainstream idea versus other not so great definitions that we might have needed to pick up during a certain time and endure um, or get through. But we find out later, you know, that really wasn't love actually. So I'm gonna just throw that in the trash. <laughs> yeah. So you wrote, wrote this book, and like, and like I said, it's a, a great, great book. I'm almost done. It's fantastic. Uh, so what is next for you after the book? So I'm actually, right now, um, pertaining to the book, there is a $10 off holiday sale that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So this is actually $10 cheaper mm -hmm. <laughs> from now until December. Um, I will be doing a revised version of the book. Um, and then I will be working on the workbook and the audiobook, which people have been consistently asking me for the audiobook. So, but my question was after the book, though. So, what's what's going on with you after the book? Yeah, so I'm doing uh, some purpose coaching. So, I will be launching my purpose coaching program in December, December 12th. And um, I'm actually going to start doing some author coaching next year because mm. I think we need more um, stories, like I said, from low-income communities of color, whether you had the experience of child welfare or poverty, I think that's a big narrative and any kind of uh, issues around that, mental health, um, child abuse, like those types of things I think are narratives that need to be told in order to incite change and really um, thinking through some very clear solutions in the future because when I was around some organizations, and I'm sure you've probably been across these same ones, um, I noticed that there's a lot of talking. Like there was, there was one organization in particular, I'm not going to call it out, but um, 
it was talking about a 20 year conversation and that, you know, we're, we're dressing up, going to all these banquets and everybody's giving, you know, millions of dollars or well, not, not me, everybody else, <laughs> everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> millions of dollars. And we need to stop foster care um, malpractices and all these other different things. But, you know, why are we still having a 20 year conversation about it? Mm-hmm. Like if we're having a conversation, there needs to be a conversation, then action steps and then execution. Where, why is there a 20 year conversation? And at the end of the event, they're talking about, and this concludes another one of our 20 year conversation. We'll be back next year. Like, no, I won't be back. <laughs> I'll be actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing to create change. Mm-hmm. So Anyways, yes, I, um, I'm really focused on that right now. There's definitely a few other things in the works. Um, I'm also working on my podcast. So I'm more than definitely going to be getting you on that podcast. So. <laughs> look, look for that. But, 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 but you want to hear me preach? That's going to happen. <laughs> hey. Yeah, um, absolutely. So... Uh, if anyone haven't told you, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure people have, but if anyone haven't told you, I am very, very proud of you. Like I said, three Thank years you. ago, you were this, no offense, this little black girl that I used to work with, um, with, with the with the uh, a powerful voice. You had a powerful voice back then, um, and it just got stronger, you know, three years in advance. Uh, so. Um, so I want to thank you and I am proud of you. Thank you. I do want to say this though. So I, I went on your YouTube page, right? Yeah. And I, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 you came, so when we, we went to Seaside, uh, you went back home and came back to visit. Uh-huh. Uh, we went out, we went out, uh, we mean you and a couple of our friends went out to this, yes. this bar and then and, and you did a, a vlog. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I um surprisingly I see myself in in, in, in this vlog, yes. uh, destroying some food, and about <laughs> dancing and singing. I knew nothing about this. <laughs> I do nothing about that at all. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I was recording on Snapchat, and I just mm-hmm. uh, downloaded the videos from Snapchat and added it to my vlog. But yeah, on, that was that was a crazy night. So, uh, last but not least, uh, can you tell? Uh, whoever's going to listen to this or see this on YouTube, can you tell them where you can go and get the book? Yes, absolutely. So you can head over to www.blackfostercareyouthhandbook. It wouldn't let me just put foster youth handbook. I don't know why, Mm -hmm. but the black foster youth handbook, right? So Mm -hmm. um, www.blackfostercareyouthhandbook.com. Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. With that being said, my name is DeAndre Robinson. This is my friend. Say goodbye, friend. Peace. (laughs) All right. (laughs)